Hello and welcome to Stay in the Loop with Lucy. This is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people. People in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their choices and consequences and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Yesterday, two men aged 33 and 31 faced court in Melbourne charged with slavery. It's hard to believe that in the 21st century you have to consider there is anyone who considers slavery to be acceptable. Yet, let's look at the facts as we know them. This is the tip of a very large iceberg. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world, generating more than 198 billion every year. 20.9 million people are in modern slavery across the world. 5.5 million children are in slavery across the world. 11.7 million are in slavery in the Asia Pacific region and they're mostly in bonded labor. We'll explain what that means shortly. 3.7 million people are in slavery in Africa, 1.6 million people in Latin America, 1.5 million people in, developing, in developed economies. 14.2 million slavery victims are ex exploited in economic activities. 4.5 million people are, in, are forced into sexual exploitation. And 98% of people trafficked for sexual exploitation of women and girls. The shocking one for me is 2.2 million people in slavery are exploited by governments, the organizations we think are there to support us and, and help us and protect us. We've got to look at what's going on underneath all of this and my two guests today know this all too well. I have Ashley Clark and Paige Edwards, who are both A21 representatives, an organization whose aim is to end slavery once and for all. Our show today, Slavery in the 21st Century. Welcome to Triple H, Paige and Ashley. Hi, thank you so much for having us. I'm so pleased that you're coming in to talk about this because it is a, um, it's something that I, uh, I'm aware of, but I don't want to be aware of it. Yeah. It's a horrible thing to have to be aware that, that we've got this going on in our world. And I, and I guess maybe we can look at it in a few different ways today. One, from an Australian perspective. Two, from a human being perspective. And that takes us into that world perspective that we may be living in different countries, but we're all human beings. And so if we look at it from that perspective then we don't see, oh, this is your issue and this is my issue. Paige, your role within A21 is uh, assisting and supporting hosted events and fundraisers as well as coordinating Walk for Freedom in Sydney as well as Australia and New Zealand. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. It's my absolute privilege to be working in this role um, with A21. So I'm a volunteer. Um, most of our office is volunteer-based, which is an absolute um, pleasure to be able to do um, what we do within the office. But essentially, I help coordinate the events team, which entails everything that you've just explained. And what do you do in your other life? 
My other life. Oh, well, I am married. I have a husband by the name of Daniel. We got married um, at the beginning of the year, um, and I have just finished two years um, in college at Hillsong College, just out in Balcombe Hills. Um, I'm initially from Adelaide, um, but I moved here for that, and then I don't know what I'll be doing, <laughs> hopefully volunteering in a greater capacity with A21 now that I'm done. Fantastic. So the world is your oyster at the moment. Yes, absolutely. You haven't committed to any one particular area or subject no. or career? No, definitely not. But I know that I certainly want to move forward um, in fighting modern-day slavery and really taking a stand for the injustice that's happening across the globe. So I know that whatever it is that I'll do, it will definitely have a focus on this. So whether that means further study um, to specialise in an area that will be beneficial to moving the cause forward or if that means just spending more time volunteering, it, yeah, it could look like anything at the moment. Congratulations on getting married at Thank the beginning you. of the year. <laughs> lovely. It's a lovely, lovely, lovely time that yes, first absolutely. year. It only gets better, can I say. Oh, well. um, <laughs> Good to know. Ashley, welcome, welcome. Um, now, Ashley, you actually go into schools and give presentations about the work of A21, um, and that can be uh, school assemblies or smaller class presentations. And, and I, um, I love the fact that you go to the year 11 and 12 um, legal classes because, of course, I had no idea until my daughter did legal studies just how upfront and engaged and proactive it was. I mean, I loved what I heard, but I'm, I'm pleased you go in and talk. Share, share with us maybe a little bit more about you and then uh, what that looks like. Um, so I'm originally from Cairns in Queensland, but um, I've moved here to Sydney for a year to do Hillsong College as well out in Borkham Hills. Um, and obviously volunteer with 821. Um, and I'm also studying a law degree which is really cool. I've just transferred universities to a university on the Gold Coast, which is really exciting. So um, um, in terms of our school programs, we go in to let young people know about what this injustice is, what it looks like, um, that it's not just something that happens out in third world countries, but it's something that happens in our own backyard. How to equip them to be a voice to their generation, because they are the up and coming leaders, politicians, businessmen, businesswomen in the world so we want to equip them for when they get to that place that they know how to fight this injustice and also we provide them tools to self-identify when they could potentially be um, at danger or at risk of being trafficked themselves or are in slavery-like conditions themselves at the moment so being able to go in and talk to young people is I have such a heart for young people so that to me is one of the most encouraging and most hugest privileges that I have is to be able to look at young people and go, hey, you can actually do something about this. Doesn't matter your age, your background, your circumstance, education standard, doesn't matter. Like we can all do this together. Um, and then in regards of, uh, to talking to year 11 and 12s about it, um, most of the kids in year 11 and 12 legal studies classes would like to go on and eventually study law. So for me, somebody who studies law and has a passion to use my law degree to then go on and fight this injustice in a greater capacity, um, just being able to be that person that could potentially look at a young person who's had the world against them and go, hey, you know what, you can do it. You know, the legal profession can actually make a difference here. It's not all about, you know, the TV show suits that we see on Netflix and things like that, which I love, by the way. <laughs> but, um, you know, that like we can be proactive in moving forward, that law degrees aren't just for corporations or business law or things like that, but we can actually use it in a myriad of different ways. So, It's quite interesting and possibly uh, slightly off topic, but I feel that what we don't address kind of feeds the 
where we end up, which is feeds a society where we have human trafficking and, and slavery, modern day. Um, but that whole feeling of disengagement from young people, mm. feeling that they can't be a change, the change they want to see in the world, because what they see as adults is so corrupt, and they just give up saying, well, you know, when you've got politicians, when you've got leaders of industry who are done for corruption, embezzling, um, you just kind of go, well, if they're our leaders and they've been, they've, they're actually in a six, seen as a success, very often they shoot the messenger, you know. So a, a whistleblower is someone who's actually going to be castigated and, and cast out and, you know, they're going to be, you know, pulled through the mud before they speak up. But what we've lost is that balance of, okay, so who is living a, a clear, transparent, honest life? Mm -hmm. And who is living a life that is buying into a way of living that is about what you get, how far you can go, how much you can manipulate people? And the manipulation is what you're teaching young people and talking to young people about spotting. Mm -hmm. 100%. Oh, definitely. You know, the ways that traffickers law victims in um, into slavery-like practices is the basis of it is manipulation. So it could look anything like false job offers. It could look like an older man paying attention to a younger woman who might be um, a bit insecure, come from broken family circumstances or just from at-risk situations. Um, and it, it's called the boyfriend method. So you know, he can make her feel loved and cherished and be her boyfriend for a while and then all of a sudden one day he changes and becomes a different person and then she's sold to, you know, into prostitution by him and he becomes her pimp. So key thing is to identify manipulation but also understanding that when you identify manipulation, um, there are actually authorities that are there that are willing to help and we are really blessed here in Australia to have um, a government and a police force, especially the Australian police force, that will, um, you know, do everything to protect us. Mm -hmm. But in countries where that where corruption's a little bit more um, rife and cor corruption's kind of the basis of, you know, political standards or whatever, in those countries, key thing is being able to identify the manipulation so that that way you can get in contact with someone that can help you. You know, whether that's a family member, whether or not that's an A21 hotline that we might have in certain countries around the world, whether that's the Australian Federal Police hotline, whatever that is, um, identifying manipulation is key. Because I feel like we're in, a, we're in a world at the moment where manipulation is the tool that most people use to get what they want. It's how the world moves forward almost. Um, so being able to remove yourself from a manipulating situation, go, no, hang on, actually, I'm my own person. That's manipulation and that's not okay. Um, is so key. It is so key. So in terms of stepping back and being able to spot the manipulation, we have to have a sense of who we are, don't we? Because obviously the manipulation, of, uh, amazing, so many recent examples of that is drug trafficking as well. You know, the lure of, you know, someone paying attention to you, someone loving you, someone, you know, oh, I've never felt met like this before and all of a sudden you're actually trafficking their drugs for them. But, um, to get into that situation as a as a person, and, and maybe we'll speak about it from the female point of view, seeing as we're the three of us are females, you have to be looking for something from someone else to tell you who you are to, to not be able to spot that manipulation, to fall for it. You have to have a low sense of self-worth and self-esteem. 
And are we not really going to the, the crux of it and saying, how come we've got so many young people growing up not knowing who they are? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure social media exacerbates it. But I think your, your comments about about looking for it outside rather than knowing it inside and being able to spot it is very, very key here. Yeah, definitely. And I think it does form a, a huge part of the core issue. You know, when people don't know who they are, they're more willing to, you know, perhaps compromise or question things and maybe not see red flags as obviously, you know, and, and that obviously can definitely lead into being tricked and, you know, for people being more vulnerable in that situation. So I think that's definitely part of what we do in going into schools. And and even going into, you know, having the events that we hold and actually discussing with people, you know, how to mm. spot manipulation and things like this and how to identify it all. Because really, if if we can do that, we're stopping it at the source. Do you know what I mean? We're stopping exactly. people from being as vulnerable. But I also think there's definitely um, a great problem additionally of, you know, people just being tricked in without yeah, realising it. False False job offers and things like that are absolutely 100%. right. Um, so Australia is a destination country for trafficking. So we actually um, have lots of people being brought into Australia um, from Asia and from you know countries uh, overseas and actually being lured into false job opportunities and then things like having their passports and documents taken away. So even if they were to try mm. and leave, they mm. don't have a visa or they don't have any mm. way to really escape. Um, so I definitely think it is very much about you know knowing who you are but there are definitely also situations where you could be a very strong person and still you know yeah, be be tricked sure. and fooled into this one of our survivor stories in the US actually um, is about this one girl who was um, captured into human trafficking and then her trafficker actually used her to lure other young girls in because she mm. looked like an all-American white girl and girls would trust her. So I guess it really depends on the situation case sure. by case but there's definitely um, yeah definitely both sides of the of the spectrum there. 100% yeah. and just coming off of the back of what Paige just said about um, Australia being a destination country and, you know, false job offers are so rife. Um, again, case-by-case case uh, case case, um, scenarios, but, you know, people might think like, you know, sort of like in the movie Taken where girls are trafficked, it might be in a shipping container or it might be in a car, which those things do happen. Let's not discount those. But with Australia, we also find the abuse of legal visas happening. So people will come into Australia on legal visas, however, the situation's less than legal. So that might look like spousal visas, student visas, the skilled 457 working visas, which our government has made huge progress on that particular visa because um, it's they're now restructuring it and they've actually done away with 457 visas, which is awesome. Go Australian Parliament. Um, but yeah, so people... People might think it's, you know, smuggling by a shipping container or boat or car, which aeroplane, those things so happen and it is so prevalent. Um, however, in Australia, we see a whole other dimension where it's people coming in for illegitimate purposes on legitimate visas. Wow. Okay. I, I count myself as educated because, you know, I had no idea when they were talking about the 457 visas that that was even one of the considerations. For me, I we came in on a 457 visa, so just... That you know, what a learning curve for me. Thank you. We're going to go to a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to keep going with that. We're, what we've talked about is how the manipulation can happen. I think if we can, in our next bit, if we can talk about where the demand is, yeah. where where they're ending up, 
Uh, so we can actually call out the industries that actually are um, continuing, you know, actually are calling for the demand because the supply is only there when the demand is there. So let's call that out after the break. You're listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Today we're talking about human trafficking, slavery in the 21st century. My guests in the studio are Ashley Clark and Paige Edwards. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Australia is a destination country for modern day slavery. Most victims are trafficked into our country from Southeast Asia and are often forced into forced labour and sexual exploitation. And there are approximately 4,300 slaves in Australia today. Talking to you both, I think that figure is underreported. Would I be um, correct with that? You certainly would be correct with that. Um, we actually find on a global scale that 1% to 2% of all uh, traffickers are ever convicted. And in Australia, we are definitely on the back foot. We don't see convictions very often. And I know that the Parliament is working actively to try and tighten um, the reins and fix the loopholes that there are in the system. But it's definitely something that um, we're not reporting enough. And I think that has a lot to do with the education of general Australians, not knowing mm. what to look for or even realising that this uh, happens in our backyard. Most of the people that I speak to, um, you know, day to day in the A21 office that are, you know, hosting things for us or are just inquiring about what we do have no idea that the issue is so prevalent in Australia. I think we think in our Western world that everyone is safe and we all, you know, live mm. similar lives, but there are definitely people among us that are perhaps sure. living in the same place but have a very, very different experience of what it's like. For sure. Yeah, no, I think... Um, yeah, I totally agree with what Paige says. I think with um, that statistic of 1% to 2% of traffickers ever getting convicted and also 1% to 2% of victims are ever rescued, the thing is, is when there are so many people who um, don't know what trafficking is, don't know it still exists, doesn't know what slavery is, doesn't know how to identify the red flags, aren't maybe acquainted with hotlines in their country, which just on that note, I'd like to just notify our listeners that um, to report any trafficking suspicions, uh, please contact the Australian hotline, which is 131 AFP, I believe, um, which you can double check on the AFP website as well, which is awesome. But yeah, it is shocking and definitely underreported because nobody really knows what to look out for, what it might be, what it looks like, what the hotlines are. So definitely underreported for sure. Um, first of all, we will have that number on the website as well when I do the, the podcast. One of, uh, with the underreporting, that's quite horrifying. You know, 1% to 2% of people actually getting out of that situation. That's 98 to 99% of people thinking that actually having that as their life experience. Mm. Are we... You know when you have that situation, when you're in an abusive situation and it's just become so normal that you can't see outside of it, I hope, I hope in my heart, because I'm a person who, you know, I've championed love, you know, for me love is everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, same for us. Yeah, you, you kind of hope that, that that would not be someone's experience and that they wouldn't see that as normal and that yeah. wouldn't be their normal. Um, but there is definitely an area where it sounds like some people have that as their normal and so maybe wouldn't know to ask for help as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I recently did a missions trip with a partnering organisation. Um, I don't know if they partner with us um, as A21, but I do know they do partner in the cause. 
Um, we went over to Cambodia and Thailand, um, and some of these children are sold from when they're five months old. So, you know, four years have. old, three years old, it's, it's all they know. That's life to them. Um, so they don't understand what a different type of normal would look like, unfortunately, which is really heartbreaking. It's really, really heartbreaking. That's the bad thing, isn't it? When they don't know what they're in isn't normal. right. And, and that's, I think, how they can encourage others to do the same because you almost think that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing until you get a reflection that actually there is a different way. Exactly right. Definitely. So let's take one step back. Let's describe the different forms of slavery. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to say them. I'm just going to let you say them because otherwise it will come from a head rather than from your experience. No, that's all good. So uh, currently we have, and this is also incorporated into our schools programs that we teach young people about, but there are five main forms of trafficking, which is um, sex trafficking, which is forced prostitution, pornography as well. Um, the next one would be uh, child soldiers, which, you know, there was a massive campaign, I think, back in 2012 about it. Um, it still happens today where children are sometimes orphaned and taken from orphanages or even taken straight from their families and then put on the front lines to participate in armed forces, can be as young as five years old, um, which is really sad. Um, the next one is voluntary, uh, sorry, involuntary domestic servitude, which means that people are forced to basically be a domestic in the home um, and they have to live on site. However, they're forced to work in atrocious conditions, long hours, no break, no money, can't leave, um, freedom completely taken away from them. Um, the next one that we look at is debt bondage, which basically means that their trafficker somehow communicates to them that either their family owes a debt or they've accumulated a debt somewhere along the way um, that they need to pay off. Um, but, you know, it's really funny because that debt never seems to get paid off. It just seems to keep accumulating. Like, they'll pay it off, but then every time they have a meal, the debt goes back up. Or every time they need to buy a pair of shoes, the debt goes back up. So it's just a never-ending cycle. And then... Um, the fifth one is forced labour, which we see a lot of um, men forced into and young boys. So that can look like forced labour in agriculture, construction, um, hospitality, where basically they are forced to work long hours in extreme conditions, no little to no pay. Usually um, their health deteriorates quite rapidly, which um, traffickers care nothing for. And, um, yeah, forms of identification are taken away from them, stripped from their families, have no communication with the outside world, usually forced to work. Um, actually, not normally. I'm going to rephrase that. I don't think they're normally forced to work in remote areas. Um, it can actually happen. It, it could be happening on the construction side in your neighbour's backyard yeah. and you wouldn't know. Um, and, of course, the domestic servitude could happen in any house. Yeah. You know, um, um, we, we can, so I mean, I, I would love to just unpick very quickly, what are the rules around working in people's homes? You know, I'm presuming you get paid for it. Um, so even if you're like an au pair or if you're um, working in someone's home, even if you're given accommodation and you're given food, you still have the freedom 100%. that you actually should be paid for that as well. Oh, 100%. So that would be outlined in the Fair Work Act um, that we have here in Australia. So if if I was... That, that information, that act is open to the general public. So if I was... Any of our listeners who is curious, please hop onto Google and just Google that um, and just equip yourself with knowing what your rights are around fair working conditions so that you're able to contact... Um, fair work unions and things like that, it is so important to know your rights. 
Um, but yeah, those outline that would definitely be outlined in our legislation for sure. Because correct me if I'm wrong, working for cash in restaurants and in the hospitality industry, that's actually illegal, is it not? Or it so no, it opens someone up to not having any rights, which would then lead to exploitation of that person. Yes, absolutely, and that's definitely something that we do see um, a lot in Australia. You know, you go to um, restaurants or nail salons, and they all have the big sign saying "cash only," which you know I think a lot of people might think, oh, you know, the worst thing they could do is tax evasion or things like that, paying people under the table. But exactly like you said, Lucy, it does open people up for exploitation mm -hmm. because it means that the cash goes straight into the business owner's hands, and they can. Um, hand it out in whatever allotments they think is necessary without having to record it anywhere. So unlike a bank transaction, they actually can't prove where the money is going and they can say that they've given a certain amount and even mm. force the employees to agree and say that that was the amount that they were given when mm. really it could be drastically under that. Um, so definitely working for cash can be very dangerous. Um, we actually did a global campaign not too long ago. Um, we kicked it off called the Can You See Me campaign, mm. which was specifically targeting nail bars, um, especially in the UK, um, nail salons in the UK, and it was talking directly about, you know, can you you see me as in we go in we get our nails done there's the lady sitting behind you know behind the table and we hand the money over and cash only and all those sorts of things that we think is a normal pamper day but without actually seeing the fact that that girl is not allowed to leave that um, that place of employment and she has no documents she has no way to escape it's like do we notice that maybe something's not right you know and I think mm -hmm. again that comes mm -hmm. into are we noticing the red flags are we educating ourselves to actually see what's going on mm -hmm. and be able to mm -hmm. perhaps see what wouldn't normally be noticeable to mm -hmm. the to the eye and actually really yeah, yeah going in sure. there for sure and I think sometimes we can be so oblivious to like exactly what Paige said walk in get our nails done the girl behind the counter might not necessarily be able to even utter her own name in English, um, cash only, and we just think, oh, it's another day out with the girls, but we kind of don't realise how we're actually funding the industry, mm -hmm. which to me, that was a huge, like, slap in the face when I realised that that was potentially something I was doing. Um, so even just things like ethically sourced clothing, ethically sourced makeup, food products, coffee, chocolate, things like that has been a, a big personal conviction of mine just because I realised I don't want to be part of funding the industry in any way, shape or form. And I think that's where we can all take a moment to see how we can make a difference in the world because we were talking before the break about supply and demand. You're talking here about the demand. We are the demand. Every single one of us is, is, is encouraging that demand. If we don't buy the cheap clothes, they won't, they won't be able to you know, keep that company going. I, I'm, I've got this... I remember having a conversation with someone and they said, yeah, but if we, if we don't, that whole factory closes mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, everybody's out of work and you don't give them any money. But the call after that um, fire in the, Indian, um, in the Indian clothing factory that killed so many people, and I'm sure there are so many of those that we don't hear about, but that happen all the time. China and, and India were the, the two kind of countries that come up the most when it comes to that labor. Um, we need the companies who are buying from those it, from those countries mm -hmm. to actually have minimum standards and enforce them. Certainly, 
Yeah, and I think that's, that's tricky and we are so blessed in Australia in the sense of the laws that have been put in place to protect us, you know, the fair mm. work legislation and everything that has been put in um, for us to protect the places that we work and make sure that we're not being exploited in those ways. But definitely in developing countries we see it particularly rife where there is nothing there to protect them. And I think saying that, you know, if we stop shopping at a, at a certain store because of, you know, the way that they were producing their clothes would shut them down, I think the big business people that are running those stores, there would be more pressure on them to change the way that they're actually getting the workers mm. to act and changing the conditions around it because they don't want to lose the revenue that's coming in. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that only the handful of people that are becoming aware about slavery in the 21st century and are making a conscious decision to change, we can actually put pressure on those companies without taking everything away from them. They still want to make money. They're not just going to close everything down and be like, oh, well, never mind, we'll just have a different business venture. Like, this is where they earn their money and this is how they generate their revenue. So if we can put enough pressure on them by actually saying, no, we want to take a stand for this and it's not okay for you to sit in your office and be, you know, comfortable with your coffee machine in the corner while there's these people in third world countries that are getting paid 50 cents a day, like, it's Mm. not okay, but it's actually up to us to take a stand and put that pressure on them, otherwise they won't change. We have way more power than we give ourselves credit for, don't we? Totally, totally. And I think that's something just the average Australian needs to realise. We have more power than we think we do. And this is why I love that we're working with young people. Because I think, you know, I'm like, I'm I'm older. um, But I think I, for years, kind of gave up a little bit. I sat back and I just thought, well, you know, what can I do? It's just, I look at the problems and there are so many, it's so corrupt, it's, it's so, there's so much, it's such an enormous mountain to climb that I thought, I, I, you know, I can't do anything. And then I found a quote from Edward Everett Hale that said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do, what I can do, I should do, and what I should do, by the grace of God, I will do. I love that quote, and I think it, it ties in so well with what it is that age passionate about as well so we are so passionate about the one um, and making sure that the numbers that we see I mean this is such a confronting topic and it's so easy for people listening to feel like it's just too overwhelming and they can't you know they can't do anything to change the statistics but at A21 we're really passionate about it being for the one person it's not just the numbers on a page there are faces behind these numbers and every time we take a stand and we choose to buy our clothes from somewhere more ethically responsible or every time we you know choose to eat chocolate that is ethically sourced you know there was that whole thing with uh, Cadbury a few years ago and they you know got slammed for the way that they were trading and it was an uproar and it was so good to see that you know the people of Mm -hmm. Australia are passionate about this I think it's just hard when they don't when they feel like they're alone that they can't do anything Mm -hmm. and we're so passionate about bringing people into commitment into a community of like-minded people that Mm. actually want to partner with them. So we're very passionate about creating ways for people to be involved. Um, So on our website, there's a whole bunch of different ways that people can get involved regardless of their age and regardless of their social status or how much they earn. It's all completely irrelevant. There's something that everyone can do, whether Mm. it be writing a letter to a survivor that's in one of our homes and just encouraging them and letting them know that there's someone on the Mm. other side of the world that is thinking of them and cares for them and places value on them, which might 
might be something that they've never had. I mean, we had a young boy, was he seven or eight, mm. that found out about slavery yeah, and his five. parents... He was five. He was five. Five years old. And his parents uh, had brought up this topic of slavery. It had come about in something that they were um, reading and he got so heartbroken by it that he started saving his pocket money to put towards 821. He's just this five-year-old boy who was so yeah. passionate. So He saved like 80 or 90-something dollars, a five-year-old, in a month. It was so beautiful and like, it's just amazing. So, like, if a five-year-old is able to partner that way, then think of what we can do, you know, as a community mm. of Australians that is passionate about the issue. There's something that everyone can do. It's oh, not restricted. Totally. Yeah. One of the areas that I have... Um, pushed away from a lot of, you know, going out there and rah rahing things yeah. is when it's um it goes into kind of a drive mm -hmm. whereas I'm not feeling that in you both right now. You both this is part of how you live every day. You try and live the love that you wanna get out there into oh. the world and it's um Maybe maybe that that maybe that's how we could rather than tie ourselves to trees and yeah. you know be angry. Yes, you know, yes. I just so don't. Well yeah, I yeah. don't think the answer is to to bomb boats or to you know like really um, stamp down the road and mm -hmm. scream and shout. I mean, yes, we have to make ourselves heard, but there's a way of doing it that's done with the love that you want to see lived in this world. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. We have um, our annual initiative that is our fundraising and awareness. Uh, initiative happens in October and it's our fourth year of running it this year it's called the walk for freedom and we actually label it as a peace walk it's not a protest and we're very intentional about um, speaking about it that way so we rally together in communities across the globe all on the same day walking in a single file line um, all wearing black t-shirts and black jeans just to really create a very stark and obvious line to raise awareness about the issue that's happening so we'll walk through um, all very significant cities and people from Australia and New Zealand and across the globe um, are starting to work together to actually mm. move forward with it for this year which is so exciting and we're just very intentional like I said about it's a peace walk we're not protesting we're not closing mm. off streets and holding picket signs or yeah, anything it's not either. we're not it's not about making people feel bad you know it's not about getting angry at the man or getting angry at anybody for you know what we're failing to do it's actually about actively seeking to make change and to partner helpfully mm. with people and with organizations to make that happen because i think if we just go out or you know fired up and like you said rah rahing everything up it's not actually doing anything and it it's actually effective. is quite off putting yeah. Whereas exactly. if we go in with a posture of humility and we go in with a posture of we genuinely just want the best for our country and for these people who are stuck in such an awful situation, people respond to it so much more and I think that's really important to keep at the heart of it as well. We have to look at uh, our own backyard, don't we? Now, what if we've got friends who've got Filipino women who are working in their homes or looking mm -hmm. after their children? It's about making sure that they have the choice to be there and you know I'm I know that some don't have a choice in the sense that they're sending money back home but the but the area that they're working they've, they've can't they've chosen to go to the UK to mm -hmm. Australia to I don't I, I can't even say America because I don't even know what happens over there right. but um, there is a choice when you're in that home you still mm -hmm. treat that person humanely oh, as another sure. equal human being yeah. you know and so maybe we could talk about the mind in Australia you know mm -hmm. where there's a demand one of the one of the statistics was about economic mm 
mm-hmm. grow, you know, how we benefit economically from slavery. Um, if we make, if life is about money and you know, getting lots of money, which for a lot of corporations it is, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with making money, but when it's at the expense of people, then there is something fundamentally wrong for me. Um, if they want to get really big profits, then they're more likely to want cheap labor right. mm-hmm. and it's not about not getting economical labor and actually but you you can't exploit people for your benefit mm-hmm. but then I think am I mad is that unusual to think that way right. I don't think it's unusual to think that way I mean I just love the example um sorry I'm not too privy with my history at this point in time but um you know back in the day with the African slave trade in America there was one young man who went no this is not okay and stood up for it and now from his actions slave trading had become illegal and is still to this day illegal and that was but one young man and one politician who said I'm gonna make it happen exactly so I think the mindset is is that just because society says it should be okay doesn't mean we have to settle for it. And I, I think that making profit off of the expense of other people is a hard taskmaster. I feel like if you're constantly... And like you said, there's nothing innately wrong with making money and wanting to make big profits. I mean, come on, I think we all want that, don't we? Like, who wouldn't want, you know, more money in the bank? Or yeah, well, and when you can use that for, for good and exactly you can do, right. use that to support others and to actually you know, help us all come back to exactly a world where right. we're more loving towards each other. Fair enough. Exactly. So I think when um, the mindset becomes make more profit, make more profit, cheaper labor, more people, um, it becomes a very hard taskmaster. It really does. And, you know, um, I think what is so shocking about human trafficking and slavery is that, like you mentioned earlier on, it is the fastest growing illegal criminal industry in the world that surpasses every other enterprise, criminal enterprise, apart from the drug and the arms trade. And I have heard in um, doing international human rights law at university, um, our lecturer said that uh, the, the mindset behind slavery is that, you know, you sell drugs and weapons once. You make a profit once sell people you can people have a resale value of approximately seven years so you can sell people over and over and over and over again and use them over and over and over again for a shelf life of seven years which I think is shocking how can someone's life be put down to seven years of of value by that um but I think the mindset shouldn't be oh making money for a profit is innately wrong because it's not it's a great thing like you said but I think changing the mindset of if I'm making money, am I hurting people in the process, which should be normal. Even if society says it's not, it is. And I think that's the natural response we have as human beings, that that is our natural mindset. But then society or other things might come around to say that that's not normal. But it actually, you know what, like loving loving our neighbor and loving people and going, hey, is my profit making actually injuring another individual whether it be mentally physically economically socially whatever um just being able to ask those questions let that be the question at the forefront of our mind Mm -hmm. do you think when we get an element of success or an element of profit we then have something to lose when you haven't got anything you don't mind you'll you'll speak up and you'll have values Mm -hmm. and you'll have ethics but the moment you've got something to lose, all of a sudden you might not speak up quite as freely. You might not stand by what your heart says or you might not, you know, do you think there's something in that? Yeah, I think at the end of the day we all want to be remembered for something. So 
So whether it be with, you know, the amount of money we make, and I feel like it is very typical that we want to, you know, we want to earn all the money and have the nice house and the nice car, and there is nothing wrong with that. I'm all for having a prosperous and a full life. I think that's absolutely, like, wonderful. But I think, like you say, when we are perhaps getting higher and higher up, there's more of a chance that we would shrink back in what we, what we say. But I think at the end of the day the question that I would ask is what would you want to be remembered for? I mean, you think about the people in history that we remember mm. and we're taught in school, their names. They're not people that had a lot of money. You know, and, and maybe in business school there's specific people that I don't know about because I've never done business school, but the people we remember, it's the reason we remember them is because they stood for something great and they actually chose to take a stand for something outside of themselves. Mm. And I think, I guess it just comes down to how far in the future we see and where we set our minds to and what we mm. want to achieve. Mm. So if at the moment, you know, for this five years, your achievement is to set yourself up for the future, you know, being a young person and newly married, that's definitely something that's, you know, mm. in my mind is how am I going to set myself up and my future family up for success? But that's not my end goal. My end goal isn't necessarily to be comfortable. Mm. My end goal is to actually use what I can and use what I have in my hand, whether it be resources, finance, mm. or at the moment, time to volunteer, using that to actually make a difference. Because I would rather have my children say she was a great person because of what she did rather than what she had, if that makes sense. So I definitely think that there is a tendency to shrink back, but I think that that's all the more encouragement not to, you know? Yeah, and there's, there's right. no condemnation in that. It just, yeah, it's you will be a great person because of who you are, not what you do. Let me tell you from experience, when you rely on what you do to make you a great person, which is what I've done, you become very exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> it's very draining. But you also go down a lot of rabbit holes. And that's, that's what I've learned the hard way. But I can honestly say I love what you're saying. And, it's, and it is about knowing that as you go through life, you hold on to what you know is true, which is a bigger picture. Mm. It is, you know, our family is humanity. Yeah. And if we can hold on to that bigger picture, we've got a hope. And it has to start with the next generation. When we look at politicians, they're so keen when they first start out. They've got such ideals and they've got such opinions and they've got um, something they stand by, values they stand by. And then as they go up through the political hierarchy, mm they're able less and less to have that. And I think that's been the real turning point and the disillusionment in, uh, in politics at the moment mm -hmm. is because we're losing those politics of conviction. Right. Yeah. So that your generation and actually mm -hmm. the ones who come through with passion, we need to nurture that. Exactly right. And, you know, I was just thinking coming off of what Paige said, um, you know, I, I can just think of one successful businessman off the top of my head. He's very well known, very successful, and that's Richard Branson. Mm. And, like, he owns the entire Virgin Group, Virgin Enterprise. And I remember very clearly reading in, I think it was either his book or a book written about him, where he was like, always look after always look after your workers and they will look after your customers and then that will look after your product that will look after your branding and he's like one of the most successful business people in the world like yeah. you know whether or not he's ethically sourced in every aspect I'm not privy to that information but he's somebody who is so about nurturing the one giving people a go yeah. um you know giving people a chance and so like you know, when it comes to holding to conviction, I think, yes, when you when you have a lot of money or a lot of power or a lot of um, say, like we were talking about in politics, yes, you have a lot to lose. But at the same time, ask yourself on the flip side of that, how much 
how much do you actually have to lose if you don't stick to your convictions? And I think that's a question not many people actually ask themselves. I love it. I do. How much do you have to gain? With with Richard Branson, what I have noticed is that you can tell in his product how it's all going, you know, in the sense that how much is he sticking to that conviction of what he's saying because it, there, there are times where it's an absolute pleasure to fly Virgin because the staff are so happy to be there. It comes through the people, doesn't it? And I always think that, you know, if you, if you look after the person who cleans your office, your office is going to feel great to go in every day. Whatever rubbish happens in that office, it starts on a new, you know, each time someone comes in to clean it or you clean your desk, you, you, you start afresh. Definitely. Yeah, and I think, like, as a society, we're all about cr- progression, you know, and I think that's something that's so mm-hmm. great because I think at the moment, you know, tying it into what we're saying about, you know, where are we getting our products and how are we how are we doing all of that, I think we're doing really well for the progression of economy and for the progression of production, but I think now the call to action is the progression of how we treat people, and mm-hmm. I think once we start looking at that balance and start following it through as a society we're actually going to be propelled so much further Mm -hmm. than I think we limit ourselves to and I think that is the problem being that we're just looking to increase profit margins perhaps but not looking after our staff is it's only progression in one direction but what we want is we want to move forward as a society together so that you know we leave behind for our children a better world than we had you know and I guess like in saying oh you know we're the new generation and things like that we are but also I'm so grateful for what's been laid out before us you know and I think that's something that's really important to always pick up on as well that we're not young people that are coming in gung-ho and being like, oh, we're just going to fix everything. That It's not like that. It's We're so grateful for the foundation that has been laid before mm-hmm. us. And, and the victory you know, Absolutely. And even, us, yeah. you know, our founder, Christine Kane, what an incredible woman. I'm oh, so inspired by her. Yeah, and 100%. just the way that she conducts herself and the things that she does, you know, just there is a whole generation that have really put in the hard work and we get to come in now and propel forward what they've already done the hard yards to actually mm-hmm. set up for us and I think that's just such a privilege so as much as we are like yes we have new ideas we're also walking knowing that we are very privileged to be starting not from the bottom but already yeah. from quite a high yeah. level to just keep moving it forward exactly. as, we, as well again that we are standing on the shoulders of the people that went before us Absolutely. and I think that's an amazing thing we need to give honor where honors due so thank you to every person out there who was the generations before us that Definitely. we get to stand on your shoulders and so we get to be the shoulders that the next generation gets to stand on, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's responsibility, isn't it? Exactly. It's a responsibility and commitment. And what you've all given us is um, you've refreshed. I mean, I said at the beginning of my show, you know, wisdom doesn't come attached to an age. I, mm. I, I've interviewed some 12-year-olds who've blown me away wow. because they still have a commitment to change and to life. Yeah. And sometimes... Yeah. When you know a 45-year-old comes in to do a show, they can actually feel a bit jaded that they've, yeah. they've gone in with such passion and it hasn't come back that way. Right. So it's about not doing it for the recognition and the acceptance, exactly. but doing it to lay a foundation for others to walk on. And we have had many people in, in our society and in our world who've done that, haven't they, before yeah, us? Absolutely. Let's go to a quick break. Um, you're listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. When we come back, we're going to talk about the legal aspect. You know, what other countries are doing. So 
um, and then what Australia are doing. We've touched on it, but let's just, you know, big up some of the things that we're doing so far. So welcome back. You're listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FN. Today we are talking about slavery in the 21st century. Um, in the UK, Anti-Slavery International's calls for a new comprehensive law led to the passing of the Modern Slavery Act just last a couple of years ago, 2015. Now, um, when I asked whether or not we had anything in Australia, you said, we don't yet, but it's coming. Can you sort of go into that? Probably you, Ashley, seeing as you're studying it, and, and we'll sit and learn and stand, stand beside you and stand on your shoulders. Oh, thank you. So, um, yeah, so our government is having the conversation. The conversation is being had that there is now uh, an inquiry that's been launched into introducing a modern slavery act here in Australia and also for those who... You know, care to know just a bit of a law school tidbit, but um, Australian law is obviously founded on UK law. So um, where Australia might be, um, you know, lacking in certain areas or don't have a lot of um, previous decisions in certain areas of the law, we generally refer back to UK decisions if there's nothing in Australia that is helpful. Um, so um, I was just having a look on the Australian Parliament's website and they said that on Wednesday the 15th of February of this year um, there was a committee that was asked to inquire into and respond on an establishing modern on establishing a modern day slavery act here in Australia. Um, so I can't say that one's been passed as yet, but How conversations good. being had which and it's is current. so exciting. Like yeah. when I saw that I was like happy dancing around the office. Like <laughs> yeah, it just makes yeah, the law and you, Things like this just makes me super happy and super passionate. So. so I'll tell you a little bit about the what I picked up from the Modern Slavery Act in the UK. It makes prosecuting the traffickers easier by consol uh, excuse me by consolidating the existing slavery offences. Mm -hmm. It increases sentences for slavery offences. It bans prosecuting victims of slavery for crimes they were forced to commit oh, by their traffickers, such as drug trafficking and uh, sorry drug production and petty theft. Come on, that's cool. Yep. Um, introduces a child tra uh, child trafficking advocates to better protect trafficked children. Wow. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and big UK businesses public report on how they tackle slavery in their global Yay. supply chain. Come on. Let's get that demand. Um, and establish an independent anti-slavery commissioner to overlook the UK's policy to tackle slavery, which is, I believe, where we're, we're clearly standing on their shoulders and looking to try and do something similar. Oh, exactly right. So, um, yeah, I'm not too sure what the... Um the inquiry would look like as such at this point um, but I do know that a while ago which was hosted by I believe UTS in partnership with I think it's Anti-Slavery anti Australia they hosted a parliament inquiry into slavery here in Australia which looked into cyber sex trafficking of children especially in Indonesia and the Philippines which is Australian child sex tourism which I hate labelling it that but that's what it's referred to um, in you know secular senses and stuff but it is it is so prevalent like um, Australian pedophiles definitely um, utilize third world countries such as the Philippines and Indonesia uh, to not necessarily travel overseas because I believe that the Australian government is now seeking to ban the passports of convicted Australian pedophiles to stop them from going overseas and doing those things but now it's on the internet it's on the internet now so you pay a, a a, a fee. I don't know. I've never accessed these websites, and I never will access these websites, even out of curiosity's sake. But 
yeah, it's like now it's on the internet. Like now it's a click of a button. Now it doesn't constitute a flight to a different country um, to do these things. So that will definitely be in the... I know that that was definitely in the inquiry and that I believe that will be addressed in the Anti-Slavery Act, or at least I'm hoping so. And there are laws to say that, because I know there are sites where you can actually look at it live, there are laws to say that that will be shut down and, that, and you will be prosecuted for watching, yeah. not, not just producing. Mm-hmm. You know, the bystander, yeah. the, you know, you may be an active participant by mm-hmm. actually going into it, but actually if you stand by and say nothing, you are equally responsible. Yeah, exactly That's right. so fantastic. Like you were saying, you know, discussing the demand and how we as you know, a community and as a country need to disrupt the demand, you mm-hmm. know, and the reason that, you know, these injustices are still taking place is because we're still asking for it and I think that definitely the cyber sex trade is a huge industry and it is mm-hmm. only becoming larger and larger every year mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the way that we have access to it now, it's so easy, you know, the internet's our biggest friend and our worst enemy at the same time, you know, yeah. everyone says it's a tool, it can be good or evil, it depends on how you use it and the sad reality is, is that it is very, very often used in ways that are negative and actually impact on the lives Mm of um, other people and I would just encourage everybody who is listening and even you know in discussions that they may have following listening through is just to be aware of perhaps what might be going on Mm -hmm. further than you can see I mean we touched on it already in regards to nail salons and cash only restaurants and things like that but even through what you're watching through a screen you know Mm -hmm. can still be contributing to this and I think like you say it's out of sight out of mind you think they're through an agency they're through this but it's not necessarily the case and it's such a huge huge industry that brings in so much money and it's so hard then for us even to be able to know how to do anything because they're actually like they're not there so you can't report them or they can't you know they're locked away somewhere that no one will ever find them kind of thing so it's definitely um definitely a confronting thing to be aware of absolutely okay so let's bring it right back into our own families and our own communities this starts this this that's that's you we know that that's wrong we know that that's wrong but we have young children who are just starting out on social media who are looking for acceptance from their friends and their buddies and they're posting photographs of themselves in very seductive um, situations and you know pouting and you know uh, do it which is my best angle taking seven to post one minimum Um, you know that that surely is where it starts and we and and actually I know that there are a lot of those pictures that end up in mm-hmm. sex offenders' hands. Right. But actually, I found out in the dog park yesterday mm-hmm. um, when I was talking to a um, uh, someone who actually monitors sex offenders that they're not allowed to have phones with internet access. Mm. Okay. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Interesting. But that just shows what we're talking about. That shows that, that that's how bad it is. Mm. But we have mm. to talk about, we have to bring it back to educating the sort of people who are likely exactly. to listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Don't assume that it's all out there. We have oh, to care that our 100%. young children, what they're doing on their internet mm. and what they're doing with their bodies to understand what it's perpetuating and maybe educate them to have and support them to have good self-worth so that they can Mm. still take a photo Mm. of themselves Mm. looking sassy and gorgeous 
but maybe not without any clothes on. Yeah, for sure. and you know answer. what? Just speaking on social media, educating our young people about these things, it was literally just the other month where a young schoolgirl here in Sydney mm. was lured through Snapchat to a trafficking incident over in, in the US. So, again, it happens in our backyard. That was yeah. a young Australian girl who I believe was either 15, 16, or 17. I don't think she was much older than 17. Was lured to the US through Snapchat by a trafficker. Like, mm. social media is, again, like what Paige said about the internet, our best friend, but our, yeah. our worst enemy at the same time. So education. So here in Australia, our A21 Australian office is so about prevention and awareness to stop it before it starts. And that is why educating yourselves, your family, your children, your friends, um, anybody who's willing to listen, like educate people on this because mm. you can stop it before it starts mm. and then if you can stop it before it starts where it's a young person being able to identify oops something's going a bit this guy's talking to me on social media and something's a bit off then they feel like they can have the conversation with their families mm. that door is then open for them to have this discussion about what's going on because i think sometimes as young people you know pe- I think we all look for love and we all look for affirmation and sometimes we look in the wrong places but then also sometimes um, our families might not be so open to having the awkward discussions around yeah. the, the dinner table or around the family dining room or in the lounge room um, but just cultivating maybe um, you know I've got a family that is does this incredibly and I hope that one day when I'm married and I have children that this would be a legacy in my home but having having the conversations just having it and not having the conversation once, but it is a continual conversation that happens around the lounge room or the dining room table, being able to be like, okay, I did this on social media, this is what came up, or it's making me feel not comfortable, but hey, mum and dad have my back, or hey, my auntie and my uncle have my back, that I can go and tell them this conversation, mm-hmm. and then we can go, whoa, red flags, and yeah. then we can go forth from there, maybe address underlying insecurities, maybe address underlying needs for affirmation and love, as a family grows stronger, maybe call the AFP hotline, call an A21 hotline in countries if, you know, some listeners might be from outside of Australia or might get a hold of a podcast later and they're outside of Australia. Like, it, prevention and awareness and the conversation being had in the home is so important. I'm really aware that we train our frontline staff for all sorts of things in, you know, police, the ambulance, mm-hmm. the fire, you know, we, we people who work in social services, mm-hmm. we train them for what they're going to experience on the front line. We need to train our children for what exactly they're experiencing right. on the front exactly line of social, right. social media because yeah. they are actually going to be the ones who call out that abuse quickest because they, they're on it and they're using it and they're in it. Yeah. Exactly right. I yeah, agree with that. and I really think, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, having being open and having those conversations and I think that it's really important that we're aware of the role that we can play in Mm. someone else's life as well. You know, you're talking about they're getting younger and younger and posting selfies on Instagram and things like that. And it's like, I think teachers and, you know, Mm. key mentors, Mm. you don't necessarily have to be the parents if their parents aren't available. Do you know what I mean? I think Mm. we so often underestimate the difference that we can make in a young person's life. And obviously there's boundaries with that. Like there's only Mm. so much you can do if the parents aren't comfortable with certain things. And like, I totally understand that. It's case by case. You go with what the situation is. But I think, you know, as teachers and as, um, you know, youth leaders or, you know, getting involved in youth centres and doing things like that, there's actually so much um, responsibility that we can take on exactly. to actually um, 
to look after the next generation and even the ones younger than us you know we're early Mm -hmm. 20s there's teenagers now that are in the thick of stuff that we didn't have to go through because Instagram wasn't around when I was 12 like I was still playing with Tamagotchis and PlayStation 2 like it was not the internet was not a thing we still had dial up you know and there's kids (laughs) now that were born after 2000 and have no idea what that was I'm really sorry you're talking about dial up (laughs) and when I was uh, that age I didn't even have the it was dial up but it was on a cassette recorder Oh, yeah, wow. you used to put a cassette in, and that's what connected you to the internet. We've come so far, but anyway, yeah. like I just think it's so yeah, important right. that we we don't um, take lightly the positions that we've been placed in and do role modelling, and exactly. just really, you know, yeah. do what we can. There's, I mean, there's always going to be restrictions in every different relationship; it has its different dynamics. But everyone can do something, and that, exactly. I think that's really the message of what we've been talking about today: is that everyone can do something. Exactly right. So even if it's just giving a young person a place to come and debrief and not feel judged. About about what they're saying and what they're giving and then exactly. you can give them help and guidance and direction to really try and encourage them and put value on them exactly. so that then they can do that with their friends you know like everything's exponential exactly. if we just start with the one and go from there it grows and has the exactly. ripple effect so Paige I think you've just closed out our show oh, that yeah, is truly awesome that is awesome <laughs> it's all about the one and never underestimate like what Paige was saying all about the one creating a safe space to make conversations use social media to bring awareness I mean you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 821 Australia and 821 um, po- repost things that we post about tr- human trafficking statistics fundraising things like that it's all about the one and it just p- creates a domino effect be the change you want to see in the world exactly right <laughs> oh, ladies thank you very much really appreciate you both coming in Paige, Ashley um, I wish you well I'm, I will cover so your A21 um, walk for freedom right. we'll talk about it some more close to the time yeah, right. maybe we'll have you back in uh, and we can do it again rerun okay so um, so essentially what we've said today is let's come back to choosing to be the change we want to see in the world Remember that regardless of what has or is happening in your life, you are and always will be amazing. You'll always be you. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body's trying to tell you something is not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health. Look for it in the community. It is there. And if you need some support, check on the uh, Stay in the Loop with Lucy webpage and you'll find um, some good contact numbers there too. The podcast for today's show um, is on the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud. And if you want to get updates for future shows, then please uh, connect with the at Stay in the Loop with Lucy Facebook page. Links to all of those spaces are found on the Triple H program page for Stay in the Loop with Lucy. I hope you'll make an appointment to join me again. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you, connect with the amazing people in your community, be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.